Oh, we got a new game. New game. You gotta you gotta remember things like Denmark having the best badminton team in the world somehow, and Poland being surprisingly good at everything. They're really good. Oh, okay. Oh, this is that game. Yeah, I, I've been uh I've been crossover gridding for uh a, a week now, and it has dominated my life. So I'm glad my '90s basketball collect guard collection is coming to use. Used a lot of Corliss Williamson yesterday. <laughs> All right, this is debatable. David, Spencer, pals, buds, weightlifting buds, banging and clanging bros. That is correct. Uh, yes, indeed. We got to do it again. Alabaster, what we got? All right, guys. We are going to start with the story that seems like it's not going to go away anytime soon. That is the never-ending running back drama in the NFL. Jonathan Taylor, who was on the pup list. <laughs> Maybe for dubious reasons. He has, de- he has demanded a trade. From that, Jim Irsay had some uh, less than positive comments. I don't know. So our question, were Jim Irsay's comments about Jonathan Taylor fair or foul? Jim Irsay is a man, uh, is, a, is a gift that keeps on giving. So Jonathan Taylor uh, has some issues with the Colts. Extremely valuable. Basically carried this team for the last three years. Made Carson Wentz a viable quarterback uh, looking for some more money. Jim Ursay responded with uh, just macabre, morbid, uh, <laughs> just bizarreness. If I die tonight, tonight and Jonathan Taylor is out of the league, no one's going to miss us. The league goes on. Which is a person, you know, a perfectly reasonable response to can I get a new contract is the fact that we're all going to die one day. NFL rolls on. It doesn't matter who comes and who goes. And it's a privilege to be part of. Jim Irsay has, he has an amazing brain, an amazing (laughs) brain, because my favorite part of this quote, before we get to the substance of whether this was really Uh, foul, uh, I have to divert and say the actual verbiage of the quote baffling to me, which is this, (laughs) the national football rolls on. This means that in his mind, I sort of imagine that like National Treasure, Jim Irsay thinks that there is one sacred football, right? And like like <laughs> a like a classic guitar that someone famous played, he's going to buy it one day. He's going to buy it. Also, if I die tonight, I think Jim Irsay thinks about that a lot. I think that's just kind of how he acts and lives just based on how he's managed the Colts and a couple other things in his life, okay? This is a dude who's going to be there all the time was it foul by the way yeah it's foul just it's as foul as the way they've treated the rest of running backs in the nfl because they figured out ah they got a very short lifespan as players but are very important it'd be real cool if we could structure contracts so that they never ever got their fair share yeah i i you know that the point about jim ursay uh because I, I just imagine him one night being like what if i died and never gave jeff saturday a chance to coach in it, right this is what yeah. i'm saying <laughs> This is this is what this is how I feel like I'm actually respectable a little bit more. Like you mm-hmm. wake up and say, "What if I died, and never, you know, put a peanut butter jelly sandwich on hamburger buns?" And then you just get up at three in the morning and do it. I get it. It's the same same vibe. Yeah, yeah it's the same, no, yeah. saying things like it's like, "Hey man, what if I don't tweet this Toto lyric? What if I don't, <laughs> you know, what if I don't send off this fire tweet?" That's the way Jim Mersey lives, and you know, good for him. If I were in his shoes, probably do the same. However might want to reconsider the fair treatment of running backs here because not just for Jonathan Taylor, but across the board, there is something that is systematic and indefensible about the way we have devalued the running back position. Note, by the way, 
I, I didn't say it was a matter of collusion. This is just how market value and the structure of NFL contracts mm. have added up. I don't think it's a grand conspiracy. I think it's more like a loophole. It's something that exists that teams are doing more and more to keep from paying them and to keep that money off of the running back side of the ledger and in other positions. Yeah, I mean, positions get devalued all the time across all sports, right? The center mm. position in the NBA up until the last few years was was incredibly devalued. And a lot of these guys are getting underpaid and, couldn't, and were not, you know, getting paid for their jobs, right? They were looking for work. The difference is running backs get hit in the head a whole lot, mm. right? And they never sort of – the money that you make, the $1.5 million average that you make over the course of three years – is not the type of money that they are really worth and that they can get if they were paid fairly for what they actually contribute. Like there's really not a lot of precedent for this in the world, even in capitalism, anywhere mm -hmm. in the world where you could just have somebody who's worth a whole lot of money, be forced to go work for this place. And then for three years, you hit them over the head as hard as humanly possible. And then when they're done, they say you've lost your value because they've stretched out the, you've used your used up yourself beyond the point where you can get the money that you deserve. This is like an incredibly foul system that all these running backs are a part of. Alabaster, what you got? So yeah, and it's not just for the records, not just the Colts. Uh, Jonathan Taylor had over 900 carries in Wisconsin, um, which yeah. is oh, outrageous. Yeah, playing three ridiculous years. workload when yeah. he was there. Um, yeah. He wants 16 million dollars, which is you know the Derrick Henry level and above the likes of Chubb, McCaffrey, Tony Pollard. Saquon, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the question I have for this, because part of it we do need to take at face value, is if you pay Jonathan Taylor $16 million, does that make it easier or harder to win a Super Bowl? I would say it makes it easier to win a Super Bowl because you have Jonathan Taylor on your team. That mm -hmm. is my guess. That is somebody for whom – there is – Something that is true in football, no matter how much we devalue the running back position, it is this. Running the ball fixes everything. It fixes everything. It helps your defense. It helps your quarterback and your passing game. All right. And it helps you control the tempo of the game. It really does. Yes. Even in this era of pass first NFL football, running the ball can heal a lot of what ails you. So I think even if you pay him that much money, you still stand a better chance of winning a Super Bowl. I would also say this. What in the Colts history has given you any reason to think that their existing strategy should continue their recent history, not the Peyton Manning history. OK, short a landmark franchise quarterback, a generational player. What we are dealing with here is an asset that I think you need to keep on board because he is your best onboard talent. Yeah, this is a very unique situation. The fact that, yes, the NFL has devalued running backs. No, there's not a huge market for. Um, Jonathan Taylor in terms of the draft pick that the Colts want or the money that he wants, but the Colts specifically need him to run, to run as a functional team. Like they have this potential superstar quarterback who is extremely reliant on a running back like Jonathan Taylor to do what he needs to do, especially for those first formative years of his career. We've seen Jonathan Taylor drag mediocre quarterback and that mm -hmm. team to a playoff. Like, okay, so we might, you may not have market value for him somewhere else, but the value of him is with the Colts. It's almost like the Draymond Green thing with yeah. the Warriors. Like he is specifically valuable to this one franchise, extremely valuable to this one franchise. Like if you do not have this guy, you are not going to be good. Like they're going to be way worse <laughs> without him than they are than they are with him. And that's generally what constitutes paying a guy what he wants. Do you think he's one uh, of the five best running backs in the NFL? 
I'm dead serious because he wants to be paid like the top guy. And I think this is we're now a guy who's had 1,600 competitive carries, lower leg injuries, and he's not necessarily a pass catcher like McCaffrey, even someone like Saquon, um, someone like Camaro was when he got paid. Because um, all of this stuff factors in. Like I, I think if you look at the tape of the Colts, yeah, they've been a, an island of misfit toys, but a lot of it, like they built an incredible offensive line also. It's really hard to parse what's what. I think he is, I'm, but but like, but understand that when you go over what a running back is and what you're trying to do, it's a matter for me of context. Is he the guy who, in that offense, is what they need, and in that offense is playing the role that they want? Yeah, I think so. I don't think he's necessarily. I will go ahead and concede this point. I don't think he's necessarily a 2023 running back. I think he still is very much as close as we've got to an old school throwback running back. Mm. I think he is closer to the like 30 carries cloud of dust running back. So I can concede that point. But for given where he's at, I can also say this 60 million might not be the number because if I had to straight up say, okay, Jonathan Taylor and his primer, Derek Henry, I make that decision very quickly. And it's Derek Henry. Mm. So maybe it's not 60 million, but maybe you do extend a contract at a, you know, somewhat lower sum to not only like thank him, right? I think there's always an element of that in contracts, right? Because when you say, okay, if you're going to be a part of this team moving forward, we recognize what you have done in the past. It's not necessarily a year-to-year thing. When you're dealing with talent, you go, well, why would you treat them any differently? Everyone in the NFL is next man up. Well, not if you're an outstanding talent. We've established talent has different rules, even at running back. Still, even at running back, though it's marginally less than at other positions. Yeah, that's the thing about going back to Jim Ursay's comments. Those are the things that bother me about the way that these people talk about these running backs. Like there is teamwork and all this stuff about, you know, who you are in the shield and how we take care of people. But then when the guy actually wants some money, you just throw out this level of, quite frankly, this level of that like nobody is going to buy. Like, oh, it's Mm -hmm. a privilege to be in the league. And what if we die and all this? No, this is a guy who is worth more than you're paying him. Like that's just what it is. Whether that number is the 16 or whatever or what the value is that we're talking about comparing to saquon or whatever his value to that team is more than what you are paying him right now so it makes sense to just pay the guy more than he's getting paid right now because he is going to be he's been valuable to that team he's going to be valuable going forward and again the part about this that makes it so cold and callous is that what he has done that to add value to the team is decreasing the length of his life you know it is it is making the quality of his life bad for the next few decades and you're just saying we're just going to use him for scraps and then send him off somewhere else that's what makes the, that's what is the added layer if this guy was just you know throwing baseballs or like shooting jumpers and you weren't paying him a lot that's one thing to talk about we can talk about the market value, but it's also the fact that this guy's getting hurt while he's doing all this stuff it's a broken system because it's we're also asking uh the nfl to pay for past performance at a position when you look at other contracts and a lot of them, they're paying for the prime that comes after it and trying to get up, get ahead of it early before the cap continues to grow and the next contract's the biggest. So really interesting, no, no solution, but um, let's pivot to the NBA. Honestly, another stalemate contractually. This one's Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. Um, do you still expect Damian Lillard to end up on the Miami Heat after the NBA's memo about his trade demands? So Dame Lillard and his agent have been bullyballing this thing, uh, saying that they're going to, uh, agent specifically talking to outlets, saying that he's going to play for the Heat, the Heat is where he's going. He won't necessarily play for these other teams, or he may, you know, 
sit out or not give it all for these other teams. And, and the NBA did not like that, sent out a memo, you know, saying that, you know, there will be some sort of amorphous punishment or anything like that if he actually – that actually comes to play to ask him to stop doing that. And that leaves us in a situation where uh, we have Dame Lillard news, baby, in the middle of the summer. Uh, thank goodness he took a little two-week break, uh, watched the fight. Uh, you know, did some, you know, did some rapping, I think probably. And now he's back with some more news. No trades are happening yet, but uh, you know, who knows? I think he's going to still end up in Miami. I think this is all kind of a moot point. He's going to be in that Miami heat squad. Yeah. This is to me, the NBA being very, very sensitive about a continuing burr in their saddle, which is player mobility and where players mm -hmm. go. And the notion that I don't think, that the NBA, because it is so opposed to creating anything other than the appearance of competitive balance, the appearance of uh, of an open market where all teams can compete, though we know it is not, and we know that there are certain teams who definitely have more spending power and more pull than others. So mm. the idea that a player could call their shot and say, I would like to go there. The NBA at every point has to step in and say, by the way, you know, we, this is an open market player does not necessarily get to do this, right? Like that's, mm -hmm. I, I think that's one element here. And that's one element that like Adam Silver, in contrast to his predecessor, maybe a memo is a little more of a an iron fist in a velvet glove approach than the, mm -hmm. I reject a trade and it simply doesn't happen, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I think we sleep on that, but that David Stern at one point just said, nah, y'all can't do that. <laughs> like, that that is Caesar level exertion of power as yeah. a commissioner. And whatever justification you might have had for it still goes back to an extraordinary amount of power being wielded real hard. All right. I think so. so I, I mean, think maybe, David maybe this is progress. I don't know. Yeah. I think David Stern's memo just said, no, nah, the vibes are bad. Nah. And just nah. sent everybody back to their team. Like, this is just. If, yeah, I agree. Like, like, we need to just sit in the David Sternness of this all and be mm -hmm. like, this dude just Thanos snapped an entire trade that could have changed the course. Like, this changed, changed the course of, like, yeah. the, the league forever. Yeah, I mean, like, like, do you, like, Chris Paul wakes up at night thinking about that, <laughs> right? Like, oh. 3 a.m., wakes up, like, hating, just, just sweaty, like, ah! Every, Chris Paul, the end of Kobe's career, mm -hmm. the Lakers dynasty, yeah, uh, the the New Orleans like New Orleans as a franchise, like all of mm -hmm. these things <laughs> got got turned on their head because David Stern was like, "No, nah, bad vibes." Yeah, that's incredible it. moment. Yeah, an, an insane moment. And like, and, and personally, like I, if this is what Dame Lillard wants, not that mm -hmm. living in Portland and playing for the Trailblazers and making millions of dollars to be adored by people who love to watch you jack shots up from the logo, he uh -huh. doesn't. If you want to go to the Heat, buddy, you. you cool go right ahead i support this 100 percent um i could also get why maybe the league would want to go ahead and continue to remind people that it exists and it exerts a certain amount of influence over these things i think that's that's the balance i'm working with here right and i still think he's going to end up on the heat i just think the nba has to have their say in that respect yeah, I think it's a little performative also in the league because Definitely. they also probably probably think that he's going to end up with the Heat. And the thing is, it's not like there are a million trades for Dame Lillard out there in the market and that they're, he's just swatting them away. You know, like who are the actual viable trade people that, that, that have been in discussion? 
Boston was in there. The Jalen Brown thing makes that virtually impossible. Uh, there's the Philadelphia-ness of it that is possible. And I think that if he went to Philadelphia, he would play. Like, I don't think he's so tied yeah. to Miami and anti-Philadelphia that he wouldn't want to play for that team and be with Joel Allen B and see how far they can go. And then it's Miami. So it's, just, it's not like there's a Kevin Durant sort of sweepstakes situation for this guy where there's a million teams, you know, 10 teams vying for him. And he's just saying, no, nah, give me this one squad. I Alabaster. see. I see an interjection. From well, I, I do think it's worth noting that part of the reason there wasn't a rabid market for this guy is because of the fact that he was saying he'll only, his agent was saying he'll only play in one place. I mean, this is someone who can actually swing the title. He is that good. And to think that there wouldn't be teams starting to line up now that they know he pretty much has to play, I think that is maybe an oversimplification. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that I don't, I never took the idea that Dame Lillard was not playing for, was not going to play for any team seriously. Like I, the agent said it, the NBA does not like it, but I don't see a scenario where Dame Lillard gets shipped off to Minnesota for, for Carl and the town and does not play for this team. Like if he's going to, he's sense. been playing for Portland for five or for all these years. Like he's going to play anywhere. They gave you a little, the, little just, indigestion. Oh man, just just that idea is scary to me. Oh god, just to take the last seasons of his career and put him in Minnesota. That's even that you thought that. I just want you to sit with your feelings and your thoughts for a minute, David. Just just say what made me put that evil out into the world. I think it is an oversimplification, but there's also this. There's a lot of BS surrounding any negotiations like this, and a lot of signaling. A lot of signaling and a lot of BS that usually 10 times out of 10 ends up with the thing we thought was going to happen all along because there are interests that extend past this negotiation, right? Mm. I have to remind you that we're the league, right? Damon Lillard has to Damon Lillard has to remind everybody that in a negotiation, if you want to throw weight around, I have extreme measures like uh, not playing, withdrawing my talents from the league for a year completely. Like that's, there's a lot of BS and you have to remind everybody what's at stake by pulling the most extreme possibilities. And then we all end up doing the thing anyway. Just, just close your eyes and think Dame Lillard, Rudy Gobert, pick and roll. Who says no, baby? Who says no? If I die tomorrow, right? Would, the, who the would national not... basketball goes on. <laughs> if, that's, if, the, if the national basketball rolls, rolls on down the rolls court on. And, and glows like the Space Jam basketball forever and ever. <laughs> <laughs> Dame Lillard and Rudy Gobert. I had to, you know, you well, who would not forget that that ever happened in Minneapolis for, we'd, we'd for forget, a play-in we'd, tournament? We'd forget it so fast. You'd feel like that was an amazing 500 team. Oh, that was the greatest play-in, the most entertaining play-in team of shenanigans that we've ever seen. Fist fights, soccer blue, uh, logo threes. It's everything you ever wanted. That's, I think it's listen, going to Miami. By the way. I, I think he's going to Miami. I think he's going to be so happy there. Oh my gosh, he's going to be <laughs> so happy. Because also, one of my favorite things is when an athlete goes from one place to another and they're uh. completely opposite. Where you're like, I would like the opposite of Portland. Friend, Miami-Dade County is ready for you when you're ready. <laughs> it is the opposite in every single... Like, Just take the switch, turn it to the opposite. That's what you've got. What, I wonder if Portland has a DJ Khaled uh, sort of comparison. Who who is the who is the DJ Khaled of, of Portland? <laughs> no, the, the answer is no. There is no direct comparison between the two. Does Portland have a Pollo Tropical? Not even one location. 
Oh man, free free okay. day. He's gonna he's gonna go to Miami. Like I can't believe I spent my twenties in Portland, and Miami's been there the whole time. <laughs> I mean, he'll be awesome in Miami. It's a perfect fit. To be fair, though, little Anthony Edwards, Dame Lillard backcourt doesn't sound that bad. Sounds like a pretty good team. <laughs> sounds chaotic, um, is what it sounds like. Oh my gosh. Um, all right, last topic. We got a sound here. Are you here for Aaron Rodgers beefing with Sean Payton? It made me feel bad that someone who's accomplished a lot in the league is that insecure that they have to take another man down to set themselves up for some sort of easy fall if it doesn't go well for that team this year. thought it was way out of line and appropriate, and I think he needs to keep uh, my coach's names out of his mouth. Aaron Rodgers, what a pal. What a pal. Sean Payton, uh, in defending his guy Russell Wilson, uh, put a lot of the blame on the on the Broncos' troubles on our good friend Natty Hacks and uh, called him basically a terrible coach, and that was a circumstance. And Aaron Rodgers is defending uh, his hype man, his buddy, his nepo pal, who continues to get jobs, who's getting jobs based on the the idea that Aaron Rodgers would come follow him, and it finally worked. He's defending his guy. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers may not be the guy to say don't start insult other players, uh, maybe or other coaches. Maybe that's not the guy to say that. But you know, he's defending he's defending his man, I guess. He is. Uh, but you know, I will also say this: Did did Sean Payton stutter? Did he lie? <laughs> did did he say anything inaccurate? Because Hackett did do a terrible job in Denver. He did, and they're currently in the wash. And also, he's standing up for his guy. And also, like I was thinking about this because we we talked about this on Debatable last week. But to carry this forward, did we think Sean Payton was a nice guy? Did we think <laughs> he was going to be real cool and charitable? No. Right? When he's like, he's so insecure. They're all insecure because their jobs are insecure every single year. It's a, it's a league full of psychotic competition. Everything's insecure. And that includes Aaron Rodgers who felt that he had to address this on behalf of his dude who was pants last year by the league. Absolutely embarrassed. So I get it. But everyone's touchy. And everyone takes every little slight as motivation. That's why you want to know one product that the NFL and the NBA both sell with superb, flawless skill. It's this. Beef. They sell beef all day. And they can sell it because... Everyone is incredibly sensitive because the margins are small. Everyone has to compete like crazy to survive. And in order to be a competitor, you have to have that. Like, who's more insecure, in a sense, than Michael Jordan? Because he would find Uh. one thing to be insecure about. He would find one thing, one thing with a player who was far inferior to him at every every step. He would light that person up because kept him going. So I, I, I get it. You don't have to take sides, by the way. This is the great thing. We're on like two decades of prestige television with anti-heroes, mm-hmm. right? We with like the Sopranos at this point is over 20 years old. You don't have to have a good guy in this situation, y'all. You can just sit back and watch the mess. Just sit back and watch the mess. You don't need to take a side. There is a good guy here, and that's Russell Wilson. He's always a good guy. Don't ever <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> he is always. a swell, he's a swell guy. What a this fella. Is- <laughs> what a stand-up, stand-up dude! Look at him. Yeah, look, he look cares at him. a lot. Look at him and his and, and pulls up, pulls up to practice in that Hummer. Gives motivational speeches. Tells everybody that they're he gets delays of games by telling everybody how great they are before the play. And he's just an awesome guy. So we do have a good guy in this. No, I, I agree. Sean Payton didn't stutter and he did not lie. He told the truth. Mm-mm. Nathaniel Hackett is one of one of the 
one of the worst jobs, like not just coaching jobs, like if a plumber came to my house and started plumbing as badly as Nathaniel Hackett was coaching, I would say this is the worst plumber I've ever seen in my entire life. This dude was ill-equipped to coach. He is basically football Ted Lasso, who just like showed up, had no clue what was going on, didn't know how to not get delay games, didn't know when to kick field goals, and looked like an, an just a terribly incapable coach based on the fact that he was Aaron Rodgers' friend and we wanted Aaron Rodgers to come along. And Aaron Rodgers saying that this is a sign of insecurity and, you know, Sean Payton being insecure about his job is actually putting more pressure on Sean Payton by saying that everything was so terrible because of this one guy that I'm going to fix it all. Now he ha- now we're going to look at Sean Payton and say, now you have to do 10 times better than our good friend Natty Hacks did when he was, you know, coaching this terrible team. I'm I, here for it. Yeah, I, I am here for it as well. I know Payton said that this was, he needs to develop a little bit more of a filter. Uh, hey, yeah, you're 59. You're 59. <laughs> you've already won a Super Bowl. It ain't happening. You're not doing it. And also, who was your old boss? That's right. Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells was your old... Yeah, go look at his filter. For better and worse. None. Absolutely none. So, like, I don't think you're going to get that. Also, classic NFL head coach move. If things halfway through the season start to spoil, we're going to hear some Russell Wilson stories. Don't ask oh, where yeah. they came from. We'll, we'll, we'll start to hear them. Also, I'm here for those as well because Russell Wilson is kind of weird. Every Russell Wilson story is a gift. So like weird. everything I've learned about Russell Wilson, I've learned involuntarily, involuntarily and against my will. But mm-hmm. I'm still going to take him because every story is just is just a, a, a glorious story. I have a question for you, David Dennis. Do you think yep. Russell Wilson gives out Christmas presents, which are a picture of him autographed? He gives out framed pictures. He gives out framed pictures of himself for Christmas. Absolutely. Would you be Would you be surprised? Like like a little side like side photo, right? Like no, yeah, he yes, with a motivational speech on it. Absolutely. Okay. I don't know if he, I don't know if he's written a book, but when he does, he'll gift his own book to people for for their for their. Book. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, he he sends he sends uh, memos before his wedding for everybody to have a certain look, or they won't be included. That's yeah. just what I don't it know. Is. I don't know. Like one last note, you remember Parks and Rec, the senator who just goes and sits in his office and he just stares, like when he's not talking, he just stares into the wall. Right. That's yeah. Russell yeah. Wilson. That's that's absolutely, Wilson. absolutely. This I mean, again, the story. That they said that he that he the play clock was running down because he was giving motivational comments to people in the huddle is just the most <laughs> Russell Wilson story. Of it's all worth time. five yards, David. It's worth <laughs> five yards to keep <laughs> the team together. It is. It's just five yards, and I just want to let you know that you smell great today. Yeah, all of you, everybody. See, they're trying to end the show, and I just want to tell you how awesome you are. You, Everything likewise. they said about you. Yeah. No, is, the is clock is in, running down, inaccurate. and we're still just going to do this. Your hair, look, you know, your hair looks great today. Can't wait to lift with you again. 